Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. Thank you for those of you who are joining online. I pray that this message truly impacts you and blesses you, and I believe it will. And it says this, I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, by John. And John, this is John the Baptist, everybody say John the Baptist. Baptist. Tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered him saying, permit it to be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. And when Jesus had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately out of the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit, say the Holy Spirit. He saw the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove and aligning upon him. This is, that word is very important because the Holy Spirit wasn't just on him, it was aligning on him perfectly. That's what alignment means, setting on him, filling him, aligning upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11, and this will all tie in. Uh, What I just read was leading up to what is about to happen. Let me just give you a little uh, precursor, a little backdrop. This is now Jesus is 30 years old and his ministry is about to begin. Say it's about to begin. But first, he's baptized in water. And then we find ourselves uh, a little further down in the book of Matthew. So one chapter over. And it says this, starting in verse 1 through verse 11. Then Jesus was led up. This is very important what it's about to say. Then Jesus was led up by the what? By the what? Who's the Spirit? Spirit. Good job. The Holy Spirit for what? Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led up. I'm going to emphasize that. I'm going to be a little bit uh, extra my wife would say. He was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Say the Bible. Say it's not what I say that has the power. It's what the Bible says. Then the devil took him on the holy city. I want you to recognize these three major temptations, okay? So he said, command these stones to become bread. And then now the devil takes him up on an exceedingly high pinnacle 
of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then the devil uses the Bible this time. See, he's smart. He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. But Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And here's the third temptation. Again, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, and he said to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And then the devil left him and angels came and ministered to him. You may have your seats. How many were here? How many were not here last week? How many were not here? Okay, so most of you were here. Praise God. Y'all are being consistent in church and stuff. Hallelujah. All right. Last week, my friend Rick and I sat here at the pulpit, and we delve into a little bit of the book of Genesis, the, the second and third book of Genesis. We were talking about the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden. Now, I found some powerful truths, and I've learned a few things over the years on how this moment where Jesus is being tempted before his ministry. We all need to know this, first and foremost, these three temptations, say three temptations, were before Jesus ever healed any person or even began his ministry on any level. Does everybody understand that? He was baptized. See, God is all about preparation. We cannot be just expedited. God, God will not expedite a person into their destiny and calling before they are prepared for it. He, he just won't. I, I need the young generation to listen to me really, really quickly. And I need you to remember this. I'm counting on you to remember this. Say, Pastor is counting on me to remember this. To remember that God is all about process and you cannot achieve or be brought into a level of great responsibility or carry God's presence or glory without paying a high price for it first. God is all about prep. If Jesus had to go through preparation, you will have to go through preparation. If Jesus went through hardship, you will have to go through hardship. If Jesus was tempted, you will be tempted and you will be tested as to whether or not you can handle the calling that God has for you or the thing which he has called you to do. Will you remember that? There is a price to pay. God owns no microwaves. I wish, how many have ever wished that like, like Lord, can we bypass this part of the process? Can we bypass the season of waiting? Can we bypass the season of waiting? Can we bypass this season of great suffering? Can we bypass the season of silence when you don't seem alive and active in my life? Nobody gets awards for free. I mean, unless it's an honorary thing. But even then, there's a price to pay. I want everybody to say this. There is a price to pay 
following Jesus. Okay, so back to my, my story. We talked about this in the book of Genesis. These three temptations, say three temptations. And you will find out that these are the same three things that the devil or the enemy will always use in the believer's life. He is very keen. He is very smart. The Bible calls him uh, smart like a, um, he's a serpent. He's a serpent, so he's cunning. He waits like a roaring lion, like he's, he's very precise. He's very strategic in the believer's life. But here's the thing, you need not worry because his tactics do not change. It's funny, I'm a fisherman at heart. I'm Southern, I love fishing. You know what the funniest thing is to me? My brother Matt will understand this, so will my eldest brother Daniel. When we go on the boat, you've been fishing, Dean, and you catch a fish. Sometimes when you're in the ocean and you catch certain fish, you, you will pull them up and they'll have like five different hooks in their mouth. It's the right thing to do when you catch them to take that fish hook out. You know, that's kind of like the right thing to do, right? Nobody's ever seen that before. If you are a fisherman, it's not, if that'll ever happen to you, it's when. But the funny thing is, like you would think after a while, this fish would get it. Like, if it looks plastic, don't bite it. If it's got like a little spinner on it, don't bite it. It's funny, but yet we do the same things too. And the devil, it's so funny. Have you ever not fallen into the same trap over and over and over again, and then you sit and beat yourself up about it? Like, I knew better, but I still fell into this trap. Come on, it could be, it could be a sexual tendency it could be certain things you shouldn't be watching on the screen, or you told yourself that you would never date a man like that ever again. Come on, ladies, let me hear you. She's like, I can't, I'm with my husband. Or the men who said, I will never date a woman who is like this ever in my life. And unbeknownst to you, you just fall into the same trap over and over again. But you know, the enemy, he's smart, but he's simple. He's not all-knowing. See, God is omniscient. Say omniscient. He's, that means he has, limit, he has unlimited knowledge where the devil has limited knowledge. Omniscient, omniscience. He, God knows everything. And where God will oftentimes change his tactics, the enemy doesn't. He uses these same three tactics, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. If we rewind back to last week when Rick and I had a conversation behind the pulpit, in Genesis chapter 3. May I read it? Is everybody okay this morning? Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. Watch this. This is thousands of years earlier. Before the fall. Say before the fall. So when the woman saw that the tree was. Do we have that verse? Good for food. Everybody say this. Lust of the flesh. That it was pleasant to the eyes. Say, lust of the eye. And a tree desirable to make one wise. What do you think that one is? The pride of life. She took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave to her husband with her and they ate. So watch this. Good for food represents the lust of the flesh. Your own earthly desires. Pleasant to the eyes represents the lust of the eye. Be careful what your eye is attracted to. 
desirable to make one wise. You just all aced the test. You all said it was the pride of life. Now, this is nothing new. So we find it in the book of Genesis. We find these same three tactics, the same similar temptations that Jesus would encounter in the, in the book of Matthew chapter four. But you also fast forward way far into the New Testament the gospel, well, not the gospel of John. Actually, we call it little John. First John chapter two, verse 15 through 16. Listen what it says. There's a lot of scripture today. Can we handle a lot of scripture today? Fill our bellies up with the word of God. It says this in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. What do you love this morning? Look at somebody with like a prophetic eye. Say, what are you in love with this morning? I wanna I want suggest to you this. These three tactics, the devil has always used and will always used. And if you can master these three elements in your life by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, say by God's grace, because it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by the Spirit of God. You cannot resist this on your own. If you can master these things, you will avoid, it's a guarantee, you will avoid the snares of Satan in your life. And time is running out for the body of Christ. We don't have time to fall into traps, not in this season anymore. That might have been okay 10 years ago, but there's a gospel that has to be preached. There's work that has to be done, and we've got destinies to fulfill, and we don't have any time for the devil's snares. Amen? I don't know about you, but I want to be like an arrow. Yes, God will allow you to fall into traps, and he will brush you off and pick you back up by his grace, but there's things that we have to do. There is a destiny to be fulfilled. There's a calling upon our lives and we don't want to be a part of the, the slowing down of getting God's job done on the earth in this time and season. Amen? That old ghetto part of me almost rose up and said, ain't nobody got time for that. Look at somebody and say, I ain't got no time for that. Come on. Come on, look at Rick and do it. Look at you looking all uncomfortable. Shake those religious... All right, I have a question for you. Watch this. I want, I want you to think theologically with me. I'm gonna be a little bit of a teacher this morning. If the Lord permits, I'm gonna preach. But first, I wanna lay some things out because today is only an introduction for the next, I'm thinking three weeks, don't pin me to it. All right, interpretation team, don't pin me to it. But I'm thinking I'm gonna get into a small series. It's not just a series that just, just came to me, a light bulb, and I thought, hey, this would be good to preach on. I prayed about this. I felt the Lord's leading, and then I began to get confirmation after confirmation, and I believe that the Lord is going to use this small series, if you will, a few, uh, few messages to equip you and to keep you, from falling, keep you from falling into the enemy's traps so that you can become all that God has called you to be and be as effective as possible in these last days. Does anybody want that? Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to build this. Today is only an introduction. It's not just laying out the scriptures because 
The reason this is important to me is we need more than just good talks. We need something to line up with the Bible. And if what I say does not line up with the Bible, discount it. Because I'm going to talk about some really heavy things this morning. And because they're heavy, they need to line up scripturally. That's important to me and it should be very important to you. Amen? So number one, I want you to talk back to me. Where was Adam and Eve before the fall? Where were they at? Come on, tell me. In the garden of what? Eden. Say Eden. So after the fall, after she gave and gave it to her husband, they fell. Say they fell. They were separated from God because God put them outside of the garden. Now, where do you think they went? They went into hiding. That's, 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 that's a good one. I didn't think about that. They hid with leaves, but they got put out somewhere. Now, generally, I, I'm not an actual theologian. I, I am a teacher, but, and I've studied the Word of God. But as I thought about this pretty thoroughly, would it be safe to say that a wilderness is outside of a garden? Would it be safe to say that? Like, if I'm in a garden, I'm put into a place where God has called me, he's built for me to occupy, to live, to feed on both nature, to hunt, and to, to experience his presence, to walk with him and talk with him. They get cut off. The Bible says that an angel got put at the gate of the garden with a flaming sword where they could not enter. So would it not be just to say that outside of that garden is a wilderness? Yes or no? Okay. So, so, so before Jesus' ministry even begins, where does Jesus get sent to? Come on, talk to me. What, is it, what does it say in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1? Can we put it please up on the screen really quick? I really want to build a really strong case for this. Then Jesus was led by the what? Say the Holy Spirit. We want to, we want to, I need to emphasize that because what he's about to be tempted by is not the Holy Spirit, but he's led by the spirit to be tempted. And where is he? He's in the wilderness. Everybody say the wilderness. What three temptations did Jesus face in the wilderness? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye and the pride of life. Say lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Okay, let's talk about those two. The devil says, I want you to turn these stones into bread, lust of the flesh. The devil brings him up on the pinnacle of the temple, which is the pride of life. And I'm not going to get into these three yet. Over the next few weeks, we will dive deep into them. We'll break them down, and we're going to get strengthened in our walk with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Third one, the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world, which, by the way, Jesus is not the ruler of the world. I know that's a little bit heavy. We, 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 we were taught in Sunday school. Do they even have that anymore? We were in Baptist Sunday school. He's got the whole world in his hands. Actually, God is not the ruler of the world. The Bible is very explicit very clear, very, very precise in saying there's another ruler of this world and his name is Satan. Why would Satan offer him all the kingdoms if they didn't belong to him? He offered him all the kingdoms of their world and their glory because they belong, the kingdoms. But the Bible's very clear in saying that God's kingdom is not of this world. 
That's why he said you were in it, but not. Yes, you get it? So, so, so we see these three temptations. And so Jesus, thousands of years later, outside of the book of Genesis, is being tested in the same areas that Adam failed. Now, why is this? Why would Jesus, before his ministry, all of a sudden wake up in a wilderness and go through these temptations because he was going to regain? God is so smart. God's idea was to send Jesus into the wilderness to pick up where Adam left off. Come on, just think about it for a second. That's like a preacher technique. I'm going to stay right there for just a second. Think about that. Adam gets put outside of the garden where he experienced, he was in the garden, he experienced God's presence, he walked with God, he talked with God, everything was there and available to him. He falls, gets put outside in the wilderness. Before Jesus' ministry, before one healing take place, Jesus has to go into the wilderness to be tempted in these same areas that we saw in Genesis. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Is this good so far? Why is Jesus doing this? Because when Adam fell for thousands of years, have you ever gone? Oh, yes, Lord, thank you. When I was at the desk the other day at the store, I don't go to the pump anymore because I have to get gas several times a week. And it was denied, denied, denied. And I knew it wasn't because I didn't have the gas money in there. There was a problem. This, this is what happened when Adam fell. And this, this is oftentimes the problem when we don't understand our identity in Christ is when we're not walking in our sonship, we will try to access things that we know our heart should have access to, but we don't because of many, many reasons. And it's one of these reasons right here. It, it's kind of like this. When you try to access something, it's like you're swiping it and you're like, well, God said it in his word. You swipe, access denied. You pray, access denied. No funds. In the spirit, there were no funds in, in humanity's account before Christ came. So when Jesus came, he came so that access could be regranted. Do you see that? So Jesus, our big brother, our savior, our Canaan king, came to regain access where Adam got put out into the wilderness. So Jesus wakes up in the wilderness. Come on, is this good? He wakes up in the wilderness, faces the same three temptations. And now we have the second Adam regaining access. Now watch this, 1 Corinthians. Put 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I have to use a lot of scripture to build a real argument for this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and there are several areas in your Bible that will validate the fact that Jesus Christ is the second Adam. But there's a difference in these two Adams. Now watch this. I'll explain it to you in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 through 49. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. Read the next part for me. If there's a first Adam, just stop right there, just that last part. The last, say the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So if there, was a, if there was a second, that means there was a first. Say a first Adam and a second Adam. Is everybody following me? So the last Adam became a living spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, meaning Adam who was in the garden with God in the beginning. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made out of the dust. The second man 
Who's the second man? Come on, say his name. The second man was the Lord from heaven, as was the man of the dust. So are those who are made of the dust, and as it is the heavenly man. So also are those who are heavenly, as we have been born in the image of the man of the dust. Watch this. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Come on, you ought to say amen and get really excited about that. Let me give some clarification. Adam was made in God's image, but he was a son who was made from the dust of the earth. He was made in God's image. There's a difference though. The reason that Jesus is called the only begotten of the son is because he was directly from God, not the dirt. That's why he had to come through the virgin called Mary. So say he was the second Adam. Is that pretty much established? So, so, so yes, Jesus is Lord. He's Savior. He's the second Adam. But he's also a model. And this is a model for your life. These three temptations, I'm going to tell you, the enemy will use in your life. Let me just, let me just say it like this. Let me, let me read something to you. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, say after. This is important because for that whole preaching that Jesus did everything and you don't have to do a thing, I have to squash that because he accomplished salvation and redemption on the cross, but you will also have a cross that you have to bear. Right? right? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If any man or woman desires to come after me, let him deny him or herself and take up, it's not up on the screen, just come on, you know it, take up their cross and follow after me. Why would you have to bear a cross if Jesus already bore your cross? Because we all have a cross to bear. And just like Jesus went to the cross, every believer, listen, this whole preaching, this whole gospel that is, that is ex this greasy grace gospel that says there will be no suffering on the part of the Christian is an absolute heresy and a lie. If you're older than five years old in this room, you know already that if you live in this world, you will suffer persecution. You will go through levels of suffering. You will have your own cross to bear. Come on, all God's people said amen. amen. We have our own cross to bear. And any person in this room or in the world who has a desire to be used by God will himself be sorely and severely tested. Tested. Say tested. I'm going to emphasize that again. There was not one miracle by Jesus Christ himself. He, not one dead person was raised. Not one blind person was healed. Not one paralytic walked for the very first time. Not one pair of blind eyes opened. There was absolutely no miracle in the account of Jesus' life before these three major temptations. And I have to suggest to you that you will have very little access or very little usability in the kingdom of God until you face these three yourself. That's what I want to suggest to you this morning. The only other account in Jesus' life where there's any ministry relation in the Bible is Matthew chapter 4. So in that same chapter, Jesus uh, is found um, 
inside of the synagogues asking questions, but he wasn't preaching. He was sitting before the council. He was asking them questions, receiving impartation, learning. He was in process. Everybody say he was in process. Process will always precede testing. Say testing. Now watch this. Say it like this. Preparation always comes before temptation. And watch this. You need to know this because God will never allow you to be tempted in an area that you have not been prepared to face. We only fail because of us, not because there's lack of preparation. And I, 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 it's almost like I want to encourage and, and like prophesy by faith this morning. There's nothing that you're facing in your life right now that you haven't been prepared for. Amen. Nothing. Nothing that you're currently going through right now. There's no betrayal. There's no heartache that you're facing. There's no obstacle that God hasn't equipped you to conquer right now in this season of your life. Amen. Nothing. Everything has led up, culminated, or, or has come to this climax for you to walk in your purpose, your calling, because he's processed you. Say, he's processing me and has processed me. Now watch this. I have a question. It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. Now this is what really messed me up, James. You and I talked about this last week. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Does God tempt us with evil? I'm gonna wait because some of you may not really know. Does he tempt you with evil? I thought I seen a head go like this. Now watch this. Why does it say the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Can you put it back up on the screen, Matthew chapter 4? I need everybody to put their thinking caps on this morning. He was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So God, it says clearly in Scripture, I'm going to read it while you have that up on the screen. I'm going to read James. You can write it down for your reading. Is this okay, everybody? James chapter one, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So let's close the book on that. God does not tempt anyone with evil. He will not tempt anyone with pornography. He will not uh, tempt someone sexually. He will not tempt them with power or money or prestige or glamour or any of those things. God doesn't do that. But he will send you in territory. He will send you into territories whereby you will be tempted with evil. See, this is, this is where there's a, there's a very vast difference between tested and tempted. God tests, the devil tempts. But God will, by way of a test, send you into a place where you will be tempted. Do you see that? Say, God sent Jesus by the Spirit into the wilderness as a test to be tempted or and to be tempted. Do you see the difference? God does not tempt people. The devil does. God, however, will test you by leading you into the enemy's territory while you're behind enemy lines you get tempted by the devil and by default what you've been taught by God gets put to the ultimate test do you see that 
What you've learned, what Jesus learned in the synagogue, what you've learned over your course of life on how to get free, what God has put inside you, what you've learned as a child, as a little boy, as a little girl, as you've grown into adulthood, all the process, all the services, all the Bible reading, all the prayer, all the fasting, all the spiritual upbringing has put a fortification on the inside of you. And then all of a sudden you walk into a season where severe testing and temptation happen to test that which God has done in your life. And he uses, he, he, the devil comes to tempt, but the Lord has a different process. God is allowing, God sees it as a test and he's, the Lord's not doing the temptation. The devil is doing God's dirty work. You see, it's too heavy. I love boxing. I wanted to actually become a professional boxer. My uncle was a, a was it Golden Glove? It was a Golden Glove. I would have been pretty good at it too. But I was thinking about this this morning. What analogy could I give you to validate this scripturally? We see that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus was. But God doesn't do the tempting. The devil does. Okay. I want you to picture how many, how many know boxing, how it kind of works. Come on, let me see your hands. Come on, Rocky. Balboa. Dun, 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 dun. Generally in boxing, you have a coach. He trains you for several months. I thought about this this morning. Tell me if it's good. You're trained for several months how to throw a jab, how to uppercut, how to block, how to guard yourself, how to, how to get in closed areas, how to keep your distance. You're trained on how to not exasperate yourself and how to breathe correctly, how to move how to go 15 rounds in a professional fight. You don't start off doing 15 rounds because that'll kill most people. You start off with doing like three or four rounds when you get in, that's amateur boxing in golden gloves, but then you work yourself up to 15 rounds. Uh, speaking of going the distance, right? An hour long fight. Does the coach get in the ring when you start your fight? Is the coach the one who beats you up or does he allow or does he equip you for the fight? So he equips you, but he doesn't get in the ring with you and do the fighting for you. And as a matter of fact, if he were to come in and protect you too early while you're getting a beating, he would do you a great disservice. Oh, God, help me preach this real quick. You wonder why God's not intervening on your behalf right now? God would do you a great disservice. How, how, would, how, would, how would God, how could God teach you how to pray for healing, how to fast and how to get desperate for him if he rescues you every single time out of difficulty, hardship, and pain? And this is why in James chapter one, he says, my brother, my brethren, Count it all joy when you're put in the ring. It doesn't say that. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your, it's a test. You ought to look at someone and say, it's a test. God will send you. He's, he's testing you. He'll send you into it, into the enemy's territory, and the enemy will then tempt 
that which you've been. Everything that you need to withstand the onslaughts of what you're going through right now, you've been equipped by Almighty God to not just withstand, not to, not to, not to cower down in a corner and hunker down until the storm is over to wait the storm out, but to thrive in the storm with your shoulders squared and your eyes on the Lord, knowing that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. So the coach puts you in the ring. He's not the one who does the beating. He equipped you for the beating. Having done all to stand therefore. I wrote down the definition. I don't like. I don't like some of the definitions of temptation out there. So I. So I. So I, I wrote my own. Is that okay if I give you my own and we'll close in just a minute? Is everybody enjoying this? Okay. Temptation is an intense desire, an intense pull, or desire to gravitate towards something or someone that is ultimately destructive. This, this is what temptation is. Be afraid of wanting something. L listen to me, ladies. All the ladies say amen if you're listening. Amen. If you're single, do not want a man too much. Men, do not want single men and married. My God, I have to cover that too these days. I see that look in your eye. I'm going to jump over the first row and come after you. Do not want anything too much except one thing, the Lord. Desire is cruel, and it leads us astray. Many of us who have had relational difficulty should say amen. That desires have the ability to lead us astray. So let me read it one more time. A DSV version of temptation. Donnie Smith version. Whatever. An intense pull or desire to gravitate towards something or someone that is ultimately destructive or toxic. Now make no mistake. Here's the thing about temptation. As we, we look at temptation as single-sided as we just want that thing. I know I shouldn't want it. You, you, you want to, can I give you my secret? A little secret. I'm going to give you one of my little secrets. One day I'm going to write it in a book somewhere, like little secrets that I've abided by for 20 years that have kept me from falling into some very bad things. Because I'm human. We're, we're all human beings. We all have desires. We all have lusts. We all have aspirations. And the most difficult thing is to discern what desires from God and what desires not from God. You understand? And one, one way, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my, my, the thing that's in my back pocket, but here's one way that you know that it's not God's desire is if you, if you do something and it brings shame, guilt, or condemnation and it makes you want to pull away from God's people right after doing it. 
If you do something and you feel it has to be hidden, if you do something and you know you shouldn't tell so-and-so, all in the name of wisdom or all in the name of they won't understand. Do you hear what I said? Let me give you a scripture. He who walks in the light, let every man or woman do in the light. Like if it's of God, the Bible says, if, you, if you're doing something and it's in the light, you will allow it to be seen by everybody to prove that it's been done in God. God will never, never, ever under any circumstances go against this word. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Bible says that if it's added to or taken away from, that person will be accursed. God doesn't curse them. They curse themselves by walking out from underneath the umbrella of God. Never add to it. Never take it away. Ne never say something that God said, did not say. And never add to what he said in his word. Amen? Are we, are we on the same page? So anytime you feel like it, it can't be shown publicly, more than likely you are falling into the enemy's trap. If you are in a relationship that you don't feel that can be made public, that relationship is probably not of God. If you're making a decision that you feel like nobody's going to understand, I need to do this on my own, more than likely you're falling into the enemy's trap because your brothers and sisters are there to be a voice, not the voice of God, hands and feet of Jesus, to help protect you on your journey with him. But here's what's kept me away from much sin and much destruction. Can, you, you ready for it? So we see uh, sin or the pull of temptation as being one-sided. Like, I want that and I know I shouldn't want it. I recognize at an early age, and my mother will tell you, very early age, that I recognize that temptation has a desire for me. That's so heavy. It's not a one-sided desire. Tempta the Bible depicts the devil and brands him with a name. There's many names. He's called the tempter. So I wrote it like this. Make no mistake, the desire is not one-sided. While you desire to indulge, its desire is to destroy. That's what temptation is. Is that good? You desire to indulge just this one time, but its desire is to destroy you. And here's the dangerous part about temptation. This is just the introduction today, okay, guys? And we're going to get next week, we're going to really get into it. But the bad thing about temptation is once you taste it the first time, don't taste it even the first time. Because if it was hard to resist the first taste of it, when you touch it, you've lost a notch of power to resist it a second time. Because what sin does when you engage in temptation, I know this is so heavy, but what temptation does is it actually saps you of God's power in your life. One touch of it. It takes another notch. So the second time is not going to be as easy. And so what happens is the continued drift happens. If it's in a relationship or if it's money, it could, be, it could be anything. It could be a level of things. Pride, like really quick, as soon as, like if my brother comes to me and says, hey, you did this, he'll tell you really quick, I'm going to be the first to repent my best at it. Because I know enough if deception can just blind me just enough, even halfway, and I continue in the pride, the pride will get worse and I will continue be, to be diminished. 
And that begins to happen to me in the spirit as well. And that will happen to you in the spirit if you're not careful. You begin, does everybody know what I mean by diminished in the spirit? You will no longer be able to resist the enemy anymore. And he will begin to have a heyday with you. So, so don't walk, the only, way to, <laughs> the only way to beat the devil is to never get in the ring. Not even the first time. This is why the Bible says it's better for you to cut your arm off and lose this than to lose your soul. In other words, he's saying do whatever you can do not to engage in it, not one time. Because you lose one notch of power, you won't have the power to resist the second time. Until it creates so much shame and guilt and condemnation that you have to find yourself at the altar every Sunday. But my Bible says we go from glory to glory and faith to faith. God wants this upward climb in him. And you will. Listen, I want you to remember, I've said this. This is the truth. If you can learn to love holiness, it was so hard and difficult to live holy at one point. I hope this message doesn't come off shaming. It comes off more like a warning so that you can be strong, so that you can walk a successful Christian life apart from the pull and shame of sin. But you come to a point to where not only is it hard, uh, how do I say this, Lord? I could say it in tongues. I can't say it in English. At first, sin is hard to resist. It's hard. It's difficult. Like, oh man, it's difficult not to do this. Pick this up. Not watch that. Not engage in that. Not to have this kind of attitude. Not to be selfish. A whole gamut of things. But then as you mature and your spirit man gets strengthened, you know how it is like when you first, you know, in January when you go to Planet Fitness? Like just January, it's hard. And then you start trying to eat veggies and you try to do it all at once. And you can't, you can't, Gene's laughing because that's funny. That did happen to you, didn't it? That was funny. Y'all should have laughed. He lasted like a week. So listen, it's difficult to stop eating these certain foods. It's difficult to show up every day. It's difficult to keep sweating and to keep that pattern of life. But what happens, what I found out with people who get really fit over time is that they actually do not like the taste of the things they used to eat. After they finally get to a place of being healthy, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't even stand the smell of that pork. Or I can't even, I can't see how they could feel that way about chicken wings. But you, you get the idea. Like, I want to feel that way. Lord's still working on me. It's my confession time. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? Or someone who used to be a smoker, a cigarette smoker, and then they get around another smoker and they're like, man, I don't know how I was bound by that for 5, 10, 20 years. It works like this spiritually. The healthier you get spiritually, the more you will detest that which drains you. It begins to have an opposite effect. Where holiness used to drain you, it used to be grueling, like like gritting your teeth. Oh, I can't stand not doing this. I need to engage in this. I need to watch this on the screen. I need to fulfill this desire. Actually, when you grow spiritually and you get strong, you will begin that, even the thought of engaging into that ungodly thing will sap you. You'll just detest it and run away from it because you will see it as a, a taking power from you and taking your joy from you, not as adding or fulfilling the lust of the flesh. 
Does everybody hear what I'm saying? It will strengthen you by living holy. And this is where I believe, you want to know why some of you are going through the challenges you're going through? And I'm going to close in just a minute. You can stand, actually. Are you enjoying this? I'm enjoying it. I told the team recently, I said, I'm the reason you're going through a lot of the things you're going through. My hand's caught in the cookie jar. And I really mean that. A lot of the things that I'm not, I'm not gloating, that's not a prideful statement. But anybody who's close to me, there's not anybody I know right now who's not going through severe trial and testing. You want to know why? Because I've pleaded with the Lord for 20 years to send something to the body of Christ that will dumbfound the devil and begin to build God's kingdom. And when I say revival, I don't, I'm not using that word like a light word. Like when I say revival, I'm not talking about a three-day weekend of fire and then you forget about it. I'm talking about something that marks your life for eternity and where you burn until eternity. But how that happens, you know what happens? And I, I've asked the Lord, I said, Lord, send something here. Send something that changes the spiritual climate of a city. Lord, raise up a company of people who are absolutely broken for you and like, like so engulf them with your passion and your desire that anything else seems like generic and useless. Like let Jesus become so burned so bright in their hearts that everything begins to fade away. And then the Lord's like, okay, I'm going to build that company of people. And then I start seeing the hardships and the pain that people are going through. But do you know what, it, you know what the Lord's doing? Putting the people, putting us through a wilderness. I don't, I don't, it's not sitting. Before Jesus' ministry took off, I, 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 I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read it. Matthew chapter four, same chapter. It was the same chapter where Jesus had just been tempted. Now we're on the back end of that chapter. Does everybody understand that? Watch this. And Jesus, after Jesus goes through the temptations, if you read the end of the chapter, it says that angels of the Lord came and ministered to him. And here's what verse 23 says. And Jesus, finally, he, Jesus went about all Galilee. This is after he came up in power, after he resisted the three temptations. It says... Jesus went about Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of, all kinds of diseases among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all who were sick and who were affected with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem. Judea and beyond the Jordan. His fame spread. Do you think God would have anointed Jesus to that degree if he would have bowed to the enemy when the enemy said, all these kingdoms and their glory, I'll give you if you bow down. The Bible says his fame spread. God didn't want his fame to spread until he was processed. You know, you know one sure way to know you're not ready for promotion? 
is for you to want it. The want to be promoted in of itself is not evil. It's a sign you're not ready. Because anybody in their right mind does not want the responsibility of leading. Those, be careful, those who are teachers in this coming age, for they shall receive a stricter judgment. That's what your Bible says. To want to lead something, the desire of it, a true leader will only lead because there's a job that has to be done. That's heavy. Get rid of the want to. You know when Jesus, I'm closing now. When Jesus is about to leave, he says these, this statement. He said, the enemy of this world is coming. He's like, he's getting out of the way. He's about to go to the cross. And he says, the enemy of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Fame couldn't move Jesus. Money could not move Jesus. He loved his disciples yet didn't trust them to a degree. At least we know that based on what scripture says. It says he knew what was in man, so he did not entrust himself to man. I'm going to read you something, and I'm going to close. You didn't say that when Elvis was playing. Dying to self. This is what it all boils down to in the next three weeks. That's what it's going to be all about. Because if you truly want to be used by God, there is this absolute key element in the kingdom. Or you can love Jesus, but you will be limited in your use for him. You can be loved by him and love him without being used by him. When you are forgotten or neglected or purposely, this is old language, purposely set at naught and you don't sting and hurt with the insult of oversight, people overlooking you. But your heart is happy being counted worthy to suffer for Christ. That is dying to self. When your good is evil spoken of, when your wishes are crossed and your advice discarded, your opinions ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, but take it all in patient, loving silence, that is dying to self. When you are content with any food, any offering, any raiment or clothing, any climate, any society, any solitude, any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irritability, any punctuality when people are late, or any annoyance, when you can stand face to face with waste, folly, extravagance, spiritual insensibility, and endure it as Jesus endured it, that is dying to self. When you, you can, when you can see your brother prosper 
and have his needs met or her needs met and can honestly rejoice with him or her in spirit and feel no envy nor question God while your own needs are far greater in desperate circumstances. That is dying to self. Are you dead yet? In these last days, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, His will is to bring us to the cross. Oh, and doesn't it hurt to die to self? For this one scripture, I tell you unequivocally, unequivocally, cut this part out and don't let them hear this. I'll get all kinds of backlash on this one. If the Lord asked me not to preach one more sermon or to lead one more Sunday morning, this is going to be heavy. I'm not going anywhere, but I would hopscotch all the way home. You wouldn't even have to give me a ride. I would prance all the way home joyously. Hallelujah. Deliverance. Freedom. But David discovered something. He was willing to do whatever God asked him to for this one quote in the book of Psalms that I may know him. And if knowing him means I have to do the most difficult thing, then I'll do it. And for you, that may be, may the, may be the most difficult circumstance, most difficult relationship, most difficult hardship or pain or rejection, whatever it might, whatever it might be. But it's all, it's all in a, listen, when it's hard, you know you're growing. The moment it stops hurting, the moment there's no more temptation, you're not growing, you have ceased to grow. Your spiritual life has just been put on pause. But I believe that God is bringing people through intense trial and tribulation for this one reason, that we may know him. That we may know him. And that we may be able to handle what's coming ahead. What are you going to do if God sends revival? Am I going to pastor the whole church? Or are we going to have a company of people who's been tried, tested, severely tested, who's been through storms, heartache, and pain, who can withstand the onslaughts from the enemy so that they're not moved by any wind or wave of doctrine, not moved by circumstances, finances, pain, hardship, divorce, rejection, unforgiveness, any of those things, but they're processed, being made conformable to his death. That's the way of the cross. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.